thank you for being here and taking time to respond to our questions. Welcome. Could you speak about your current field of research and main questions you are focusing on? Yeah. Uh, so I work uh, in the field of social protection. Um, and at this moment, uh, through my organization, Office of Policy Management, we are doing research on what is called shock responsive social protection. And what that research is primarily trying to answer is whether um, social protection systems uh, can and should uh, have any role uh, in responding to shocks. And, and the shocks we are particularly uh, focused on largely is, is around uh, economic shocks, but more importantly, uh, climate-related shocks. Uh, so that's uh, sort of a big research that we've been doing in the past uh, two years, and hopefully uh, the fruits of it will be coming out very soon and shared publicly. Uh, and in general, the, 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 the remaining uh, part of my research is around the different um, uh, uh, cycle of uh, the, the uh, social protection across the different uh, elements of the policy cycle, in terms of how you can design it better, implement it better, and also evaluating to see whether it has actually uh, been implemented as, as well as it was intended. Uh, so that's primarily the, the areas I personally focus on. What are the challenges and the, the opportunities of conducting research in such an area? So the, the challenge actually doing research, any research, uh, let alone social protection in, in fragile contexts uh, and assuming extreme fragility is, is to do actually with access. I mean, how do you get access firstly to the uh, population groups that you're needing to reach to get a better understanding of how the, uh, the situation is to inform your social protection. And the second is actually around legitimacy too, like who are you engaging with? Um, uh, is there a state and uh, what is the reach of that state in, uh, in, in that context? So these are t difficulties sort of in, in trying to think about uh, social protection as a sector and also research in that area. Um, when it comes so to, to research uh, and reaching the communities, uh, it also means uh, having to think of a different way of uh, collecting and capturing information. Uh, why is this a neglected area of research, social protection in uh, yeah, that's a very interesting question. Um, I mean, I think firstly it's important to, to, to note that in general social protection itself in low-income countries uh, is nascent. It's been in the past decade that we've gradually been moving from small piloted programs and uh, initiatives to thinking more broadly about systems building. So this is the broader context of social protection. Um, and now if you think about this in a, a context of fragility, you can see that that is perhaps because it's even further behind. So those conversations around system buildings haven't happened, but actually access to sort of implementing even these small pilot programs or these nascent initial sort of steps towards the social protection systems may be sort of absent in, in the first instance. And what is your experience in collecting data? Is there a trade-off between uh, uh, urgency and quality? And how can we address that? That's, that's a very good question around how do you collect data uh, in fragile states? And my experience has been that it varies from country to country. Um, but uh, invariably what it means is that you need to do it differently than you normally hope and expect to do. 
Uh, and uh, that definitely doesn't mean it necessarily will impinge on quality. Uh, but what you need to think about is, okay, what questions am I trying to answer? And how do I answer that? What methodology do I use? And is it easy to apply that particular methodology in this specific context? Um, I can speak of my experience in, in both Zimbabwe and, and Somalia, but both resembling sort of a context of fragility in different ways. In Somalia, access is a big problem. I mean, there are places where we, we as international researchers can't go for security reasons. So then you have to think about how do you do this research that you feel you're getting information that is the quality you, you, you would like and helps you answer the questions you've been asked to answer. And, and that means thinking about the research right from the, the, when you're designing it to how you're implementing it uh, to, to then how you analyse it. And we, for example, had steps of, okay, I could go to specific areas of the country. So that, was, uh, that meant maybe we should uh, have a phased approach to our research. The first phase where I could go to uh, Somaliland where access was much easier and do the same research with the same research team uh, and analyse that information together with that research team. And in a sense, building their capacity by being present there and then getting them to do the second phase of the research on the same topics and issues and areas that we couldn't go but they could go. So that created some continuity in, in, in that, uh, ensuring the quality um, is hopefully maintained and, um, and sidesteps this issue that uh, not the, the entire research team can't go there. And then you add other elements to that research. So you hold daily debriefs remotely over the phone to discuss issues and to see whether there are areas that are um, sort of gaps that are remaining and to, to have them to follow it up the following day. And also capturing evidence in different nature. So photographs, photos are evidence, videos are evidence. So by virtue of the team collecting photographs of the intervention or the manifestations of the intervention, taking videos, all of those helped us as remote researchers to sort of contextualize some of the things that were coming out and corroborating it with what we had learned earlier. So that triangulation becomes important. And uh, related to that triangulation is, I mean, issue of like, you go to some communities, for example, in Zimbabwe, uh, you may have the security apparatus also wanting to join your research team and not allow you to, to conduct the research on your own, especially if it's in a group setting. So then what you have to firstly acknowledge that that is a limitation, uh, but also think of the principle of do no harm. So uh, you have to accept that in this context, it's best to, to go with that. But also to then think about, okay, what are the other ways in which I can triangulate this information? So it may be that one of you is in the group setting having conversations, and then you go and do other interviews with other people where this one individual can't be present in all of those. So it's about thinking creatively in ways in which you can spread the source of information and help the credibility of that information by not having someone standing beside you and sort of looking over your shoulder, uh, basically. What are the main pros and cons for administering social protection programs in humanitarian settings? Uh, so I think that Starting from the limitations, I think, is, is a good starting point, and that's to think about the reach of the state, the legitimacy of the, st legitimacy of the state. Uh, and uh, when you think of a system, you need to think of a system within this context. Can you build truly a system that is managed by a state which has very limited reach and, and legitimacy? 
Or alternatively, as an opportunity, could this uh, sort of initial steps towards a system building be seen as a process of building legitimacy and, and, and building a, a social contract with uh, the citizens in that country? So then it could see, be seen as a positive uh, thing too. Uh, so that's how I would view, view it. But whatever happens, I think it's important to understand the limitations and be realistic and think of having an incremental incrementalist approach to trying to build this system which takes a long time decades uh, to build and so so having that longer term horizon in mind is is useful but difficult when you're actually uh, operating in very sort of difficult uh, areas and situated countries um, what do we know about uh, how this uh, program design components impact on the well-being of the population we are trying to address? Uh, how you do a program in general, I think, um, matters. I mean, how, who are you trying to identify? Who are you trying to reach? How do you reach them? Uh, how do you support them? Uh, all those steps of, of a program have an effect on how it, it, it firstly, whether it reaches the right people, uh, whether the people feel that it is reaching them in a dignified matter, whether they're being supported in a dignified matter, uh, and, uh, and how the, the outcomes may change. I mean, if you have a program that is meant to provide a monthly stipend to you, uh, and it only gives you the stipend every six months, and, not, and you never know whether it's going to come, come or not, then that will actually determine whether there will be any impacts. Because if you don't a, uh, anticipate that it will come, it means that you're not uh, sort of building that in your expectations of your uh, livelihood sources. Uh, and second, um, it, it, you can't rely on it. So, so uh, then it may not have its intended impacts uh, in that sense. Also, how you provide uh, the money. So it may be that you are asked to join a long queue and, uh, and uh, given an envelope of cash. And so that may be easy in some ways, but it may be that you are uh, sort of singled out as a person who is receiving this program, uh, and also, uh, and so it may ha have implications on the, how you feel about it, whether you feel it's a dignified manner and, and feel good about it or not, or alternatively, you could be receiving the money through mobile payments. So you, you've got the money, you go to a, a agent and you receive the payments that way. So how you do a program matters greatly, both how you feel as, as someone who is a recipient of it, but also the likely impacts it can have. Yeah. What are the main knowledge gaps to better leverage social protection in the context? Well, I mean, enormous gaps. There's enormous gaps in, the, in, in that, firstly, the sector uh, itself is, is, is not a fully uh, established one necessarily. Uh, and uh, I, I think so beyond that, there are specific questions that are interesting. So where there are countries which had social protection systems but are now in context of extreme fragility or, or conflict, um, such as, say, Yemen, the question to me is, um, can you actually use social protection as part of coming to a political settlement, uh, to, to coming into an agreement that, okay, we have an uh, agreement from the different fractions that we think that the people who have been affected need to be supported and reached. And, and so are there ways in which actually 
these types of supports can improve sort of the process of peace building is, is, is to me quite an interesting one. Uh, but beyond that, so in the social protection itself, is that maybe can you really think of a system or not and whether that should be the priority focus given the situation. How can we improve evidence on social protection in, in this fragile. context? So I think there are different ways of sort of improving evidence. Uh, uh, one is the process of collecting that evidence itself, uh, but more importantly, it's also how that evidence is viewed. So, for example, if if there are interventions that are happening in this con uh, fragile context, if there is sort of acceptance that in this context there's going to be a lot of trial and error, uh, there are lots of things we don't know about, uh, and that um, any findings are welcome. Uh, then that creates that sort of platform for learning, a space for learning. So, okay, we know it's a uh, learn as you go and trial by error and uh, uh, instances of failure uh, are, are very important elements and, and are welcome. Then that encourages this, this process of uh, sort of making sure that uh, whatever is being done, uh, there is a sort of systematic way of capturing information about it and also to honestly reflect on that to see how it can be improved. Um, I think that's an important element, and, and I think it's, there is a danger if you um, don't acknowledge that if, if a situation is, is not very good or, or if uh, the system can improve better, especially when it's at that such a nascent stage. I think the, there is a tendency to, to create a rosy picture of saying, oh, this is a very wonderful programme, shouldn't we expand it? So what this will do is, in the longer term, this could result in fundamental uh, flaws in, in that system that gra it gradually becomes. So, so coming back to thinking about how can you re improve research, it's about encouraging lesson learning and, and, and to make that as part of the adaptive process of improving these programmes where, where they are being implemented. How can research help to bridge the humanitarian development divide, if any? So I think that's a very good question, um, and I, I think if you, like for example, our current research in shock responsive social protection is very much trying to address that, address that issue. Um, you have a humanitarian response to emergencies, uh, say com uh, the climatic related ones, and it's the question of could you use the existing social protection systems as part of this response? And by trying to answer that question, you're needing to talk to both the humanitarian actors as well as the developmental actors who are part of this, uh, the implementation of these social protection systems. And by virtue of actually asking these questions to these different groups, you, you come to realise, uh, for example, how they are set up, how they operate, how they interact, and to see whether there are avenues and opportunities for them uh, as uh, practitioners to, to link to one another if you are trying to use a social protection system as part of a humanitarian response. So here, by virtue of doing research on the, how you can use these two systems, you're actually also hopefully providing some solutions as how they could better be better integrated, basically. How would you define success for a particular program in a fragile context? What is a successful approach? Yeah, that's a difficult, how do you define success? I mean, it depends on what you set up to do, um, what your objectives were in the first instance. 
But I think related to that, it's important to also recognise were, were my objectives um, uh, sort of valid and realistic, or whether I had uh, uh, high aspirations which were not realistically achievable under uh, the, the, the the period that, uh, under which the, the program may have been operating. So, so yeah, success is have you managed to get to what you were hoping to get? But the thing that you were hoping to get was that realistic in the first place. And if it was, and if you've reached it, then I think that that should be seen as uh, some success. What actions by external partners, organisations, including UNICEF, uh, can help or hinder the uh, outcome effect of uh, effective uh, uh, social protection uh, programmes in fragile contexts? I think not just in fragile contexts, but everywhere. I think what's important is if it's possible to, to, put, a, put, to put to aside um, organisational mandates. Uh, so uh, every organisation comes from a particular place with particular objectives uh, and uh, answerable to particular groups. Uh, so the bilateral donors, uh, many of them have uh, pressure to, to report back to their own taxpayers. And you and organisations also to, to have to answer in relation to the mandate for which they were created. And that sometimes puts pressure, I believe, on, on some organisations to, to push for a system to, to resemble or align better to those objectives that they may have, and not to what would be the right uh, the objective or purpose uh, of the system for the sake of the country itself. So I think it's about finding ways in which th there's better coordination and harmonisation between the different actors who provide technical and financial support and being able to step back from that and, 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 and to, to hope that that goes to the objective that they, that is good for the country, basically. Last uh. question. Yeah. What is the evidence about uh, the role of uh, cash transfers and the programs in humanitarian emergency settings? Well, I mean, I think there's been an increasing body of evidence captured around cash responses in humanitarian settings. Um, and I believe that was sort of part of uh, the reasoning for the high-level panel uh, on cash-based responses that recommended uh, the use of cash where it's possible in such settings. Because needs are multiple uh, and, uh, and it is not easy to know what, what the individuals who want to, to prioritise. Um, so the evidence is overwhelming that cash generally works better than the in-kind uh, uh, support and benefits. And uh, I mean, from my own experience, so, so for example, recently doing an evaluation of a cash response on, uh, in, in relation to the food insecurity and, and drought in Zimbabwe, I mean, this cash was a lifeline and, and, and it did result in people being able to meet, meet their food requirements, and, and, uh, uh, that which they were otherwise not able to do. So. There, and this is one type of evidence, and there's sort of overwhelming evidence on other dimensions of well-being of individuals that are being met in different contexts. 